When I was a kid, um, my mom had special dishes. I don't know if you have special dishes in your house. We have um, everyday use dishes in my house. But when I was growing up, my mom had special dishes. She had the dishes that we would use for every day, and then she had the dishes that were used for special occasions, and then she had the Christmas dishes. And the Christmas dishes only came out at Christmas time, and we only got to use them for a couple of days, and they had uh, Christmas trees on them, and uh, those were special dishes. They were set aside just for the celebrating of Christmas. There were, my mom loved to do seasonal things, and so she had stuff for, for holiday seasons and, and um, uh, seasons of the year that would come out just for that time. And it was special, right? It was special and it was set aside for special use so that you knew, I can't use Christmas dishes in July, right? I can't use, I can't use uh, every day or I can't use the, the special occasion dishes just for breakfast on a Friday morning, right? Th- those things were set aside for the special, special use, this morning, we're going to be talking about God's holiness, and the reason that I talk about special dishes is because in my mind, it's something that's set aside for a particular special purpose, right? And God is set aside. He's sanctified. He's holy. He, he is alone categorically. He is special, And so this morning, as we uh, have already sung Psalm 99 and had it read for us, we have heard some ways in which God is special and set apart. He's distinct from the rest of creation, right? From everything else. And this morning, I want to look at some of these ways in which God is special and is unlike anyone else. So if you look at Psalm 99 and you see in verse 1, it says, The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. Now when God's people in the time of Israel, at the writing of this psalm, would want to go and to worship God, they would go to the temple mount. They would go to Jerusalem and they would go to Mount Zion and they would go to the Temple Mount because that was the place for worshiping God. It was the special place for God. And on that Temple Mount, there was a temple and you would go inside the temple, but only some people could go inside, not just anybody could go inside. And then there were more special places and the The further in you went, the more special that place was until you got very into the heart of the temple, which was the Holy of Holies. And this place was so special that only one priest could go in and only one time a year, having sanctified himself and purified himself, only then could he go into this holiest of holies. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, God's promises to his people, his commitments and his his contract, as it were, with his people, that he would say, this is how I will be your God, and this is how you will be my people. And that that ark was a big box with a lid, and on that lid were these two huge cherubim. And that was the holiest of holy places. And he sits 
enthroned upon the cherubim. He, God, is above the cherubim. This is where God puts his feet. So if you're going to approach God and you're going to come to the feet of God, this is where you're going to come. On earth, the holiest of holy places, this would be where you would meet with God. But God is above that. He is so special, so holy, so sanctified, so set apart from everyone else that to get to Him is to just barely be able to reach His feet. Because God is special and is set apart. And so it says, the Lord reigns. What is some, some way in which God is set apart? He reigns. He rules over all of creation. Let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. The Lord is powerful and he reigns. And when we think of that kind of power of God, how awesome He is, we tremble. Have you ever been in a place where there was something so powerful that you trembled? I had an opportunity last summer to take a tour of a dam, and um, it wasn't like the normal tour because I knew somebody who was working there, and so they brought me inside. And so we're up in Washington, and there's a, a dam there that is holding back the Lewis River, and there are a hundred feet of water. And so you walk on the top of the dam, and you look, and on this side you see the water at your feet, and on that side, a hundred feet down, more river down there. And we were talking about how much water that is, and he said, yeah, if this dam were to fail, it would put the Portland metro area 30 feet underwater. Would you like to go inside? And so we went down and around, we drove down and around to the bottom of it where now you're looking and the river is at your feet and you're looking up over a hundred feet to the top of the dam and we went inside where it is cold and you can see where they let some of the water through and it creates power as they let the water through, it creates energy. Because all of that potential energy that's being held back by the dam, they let it through and they capture that and then it becomes electricity. And you're just in there going, if this thing fails, I am dead. Now the reality is, if that thing fails, everyone is dead because the Portland metro area is under 30 feet of water. But I don't feel it the same way in the Portland metro area as I do when I'm standing this far from the wall. And there is something about the recognition of how much power is being held back by that wall that causes you to do a little bit of trembling. And when we recognize that that puny dam 
does not compare to the power of our God who restrains the seas, who holds the oceans in the cup of his hand and says, you shall go this far and no further. That is the awesome power of our God who reigns. Our God who reigns over all of the peoples and over all of creation, the one who says, this is what the oceans may do. You know, we think about the decrees of God and that He can tell us what to do or what not to do, but do you think about the fact that He tells the oceans what to do and they listen? The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion, He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. He is set apart like no one else. He stands alone. Verse 4. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. This great and powerful king over all of creation, the great and powerful king over the universe, loves justice. In his might, in his power, in his strength, right? That's what it says. The king in his might loves justice. Why is that important? Let me read this quote to you from Blaise Pascal. It is right that what is just should be obeyed. It is necessary that what is strongest should be obeyed. Justice without might is helpless. Might without justice is tyrannical. Justice without might is opposed because there are always offenders. Might without justice is condemned. We must then combine justice and might, and for this end, make what is just strong or what is strong just. It has to be. It has to be. Because if you have what is just that has no power, has no uh, might, then you have no justice. And if you have power that has no justice, what you have is tyranny. And so what we need is a God with great power and perfect justice. That's what we need. Because otherwise, we have a God who is impotent to accomplish the things that must be accomplished, or we have a tyrant. But we have this kind of a king. The king who in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, holy 
is He. This God of might and power loves justice. He is set aside in that way. He is holy in that way. There is no one with justice like His. No one with goodness like His. He stands alone. He stands alone. In his expectations for it, this is what is good, and this is what is right, and this is what is just, and this is what is fair. There is no one more qualified than God to determine those things. There is no one like God who embodies and personifies perfect justice and goodness. He stands alone. There is no one like him. I have known some people who were very good people, but none perfect, none without fault, some that I really wanted to. I loved my grandmother. She was wonderful. I wished that she had no fault because I loved her in that way but she did. God stands alone. God stands alone. When you think about what we want in terms of justice, when you think about what we want in terms of goodness, God embodies that. He is perfectly good and perfectly just. Exalt the Lord our God, worship at His footstool, for holy is He. And this God, this holy, set-apart, sanctified, perfect God, says, you, my creation, must be the same. You must be the same. Come, Come, be perfect as I am perfect. Be good as I am good. Be holy as I am holy. Be set apart like me. It is an invitation. Come, be like this. And we might think, kind of demanding, isn't it? That you would tell me that I must come and be like you, that seems self-centered. That seems awfully demanding. But when you recognize that God is the embodiment of perfect justice, perfect goodness, then we recognize that isn't that what we most want? Deep down in our souls, isn't that what we most want? We want to be perfectly good. We want to be perfectly righteous. We don't want to do things that are wrong. We just don't do it. We don't measure up. A call to that which is perfect and good and just and right is appropriate. And so it comes to us in both uh, terms of an invitation, come, come, be like me, be holy, be perfect, be good, and also a command. 
To do anything less is not right and is therefore unacceptable. You must come. You must come. You must be set apart. You must be holy. You must be just and right like me. And when we recognize this great and powerful God who is perfectly righteous and perfectly just, is calling us into His presence to be like Him, we tremble. The closer we get to that power, to that glory, to that holiness, the more we recognize our insufficiencies and our puniness and our weakness. We say, God, I can't. How would I come? I am not right. Even should I want to be, even if my desires were pure and in the right place, how could I do it? I can't. And so we have this in Psalm 110. Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Then again in verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs. You must. You must come. Because one is going to be seated on the throne and all of his enemies will be put under his feet. All injustice is going to be put under his feet and he is going to crush them. All the other powers, all those other tyrannies will be crushed. He will execute judgment on the nations and fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chiefs. Okay, how? In this way, Hebrews chapter 9, where we have a different picture of this one who has been enthroned. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priests enter the holy place every year with blood that is not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And what we have is this, that Jesus, the Son of God, became a man and lived that perfect life that we are unable to live. Even while in flesh, he did everything that was right. He was just. He was good. He was holy. So that when God the Father says, come and be like me, God the Son says, I am I am. 
And having lived a perfect life, then Jesus goes into the holy place. That same place where we said that the priests only once a year could enter into that very holiest of places, only not like that. Not entering into the earthly place, which is merely a copy of, a shadow of, a representation of the actual holy places in heaven, but Jesus enters into the actual holy places of heaven and offers a sacrifice, not like those priests who once a year would go in and offer a sacrifice so that all of the people might be representatively clean, But Jesus enters into the holiest place, the very presence of God in heaven, and says, I have made sacrifice to purify the people of their sins. Not that you were sprinkled with blood of rams and lambs, but that Jesus himself was the sacrifice. Both the king and and the sacrificial lamb. So that when we say, God, I recognize that I am not worthy to be entering into your presence, he can say, but I have given my son to make you worthy. So that when he says, come, and be like me, come and be with me. We can do that because Jesus has made the way for us to enter his, into his presence. In fact, in, back in Psalm 99, it says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called on, upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an an avenger of their wrongdoings. Moses and Aaron and Samuel are given as representatives here of those who... uh, came to God and called upon His name, and He responded to them. And we go, well, but Moses and Aaron and Samuel, I mean, look at who those guys were. Yes, but do you recognize that those guys were guys? They were people, people like you and me. People who had been called to a special role, but people like you and me who ran into problems and said, God, I need your help. And that God of the universe, the one who is powerful and over all things, the one who is perfectly just and holy, responded to them. You see, he's not just just in a um, theoretical sense. Or in an ultimate sense, well, one day he will make all things right. He is just in a personal sense as well, so that when his people call upon his name, he responds to them because he is just right now. O Lord, our God, verse 8 says, you answered them. 
You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. This avenging is um, it's a, a punishment that rectifies. It makes things right. It cancels the injustice. Do you know how much we want this? If you look at the most popular movies, Avengers, Justice League, superpowers to bring justice. It's like in our hearts, it's in our desires, that's what we want. We want somebody with superpowers to come in when we have needs to reach in and say, I am going to bring justice here for you. Not just out there, right here. I want justice right here. And what this is saying is that Jesus is the one who does that. Our God is the one who does that. He is the one who responds to us in our needs and forgives us. And forgives us. So that we can have that sacrifice of Jesus and enter into the holiest of places and find the justice that we are looking for. He offers all of that. And therefore we are called in verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. For the Lord our God is set apart. There is no one like him. There is no one like him in his power. There is no one like him in his character. There is no one like him in his justice. There is no one like him in his grace and his love and his compassion and in his calling you to be like him. There is no one like him. Let us exalt him. Let us lift him up. Let us sing his praises. Let us worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. I think very often our tendency is one or the other, right? We either look at God as a God of love, right? He is our friend. He is the one who we can call to in our hour of need. And when we have some kinds of needs, he is the one who uh, is a resource for us. Hey, God, I need something today. And he might respond to us. And there are other times when we look at God and we say, we think of God as a holy and awesome God of whom we are not worthy. The kind that if, when I think of his power and his justice, I tremble at the thought of that. And the invitation that we have in this psalm and the invitation that we have in the pers person of Jesus is to put those two things together. And say that at one and the same time, we can recognize that that God who is worthy of all of our admiration and fear and trembling is the one who invites us and says, I have offered a sacrifice for you to make you right and holy too. And we have those things together in Jesus. So one of the things that we do once a month as a church is we celebrate communion together. And we celebrate communion together to remind ourselves of who Jesus is. 
and what he has done for us. That Jesus, the Son of God, has died on the cross for our sins so that our sins might be forgiven us and we might be made holy like God. That we might be restored to relationship with him. And so if this is something that you believe, that that's not just true in an uh, ultimate sense or theoretical sense, but in a personal way for you, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and your faith in him has caused your uh, heart to be forgiven, then I would invite you to participate with us uh, in communion. During the next song, the worship team is about to come up, and during that song, uh, we have a table here in the front and one in the back. We've got uh, the bread and the cup. You can grab those, bring them back to your seat, and then afterwards, after the next song, I will get up and we will take it all together. Okay? Let's pray. O oh Lord God, how awesome are you above the heavens. How great and powerful is your name. Lord, we humble ourselves before you and tremble to enter into your presence. And ask, Lord, would you forgive us of our sin so that we might be right as you are? Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus by whose blood we are able to enter. And we praise you for this gift and this grace in his name. Amen.